0: Okay, Boker Tov, good morning. It's good to be back. Appreciate everyone's patience as we had uh, countless conflicts over the last number of weeks. But this is a great place to resume the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar, Parshas Bamidbar. It's a great place to restart. So as is our custom, that you've probably forgotten it's been so long, we will review an outline of the Parsha, just to put things in perspective, and then we'll delve into some specific psukim with uh, a emphasis on an analysis of the words through the Rishonim, through the Mephorshim on the, uh, in the Makros Gedolos. So Sefer Bamidbar, Parshas Bamidbar begins with a census. With uh, God commanding Moshe and Aaron to uh, take a census, to take account of all of the, uh, the Jewish people. And when was this? In the Uh, First of the second month of the second year since they had left Israel. It's time to count the Jewish people. Why specifically is Hashem counting them here? So Rashi tells us, Person has a lot of money, person's stock is high, person collects baseball cards or jewelry or stamps. And they're so excited, they have such affection for whatever it is that they're collecting, they're going to constantly review, constantly looking, constantly recounting, constantly. If you remember back to the day that you had your baseball card collection, you looked, you organized your cards, you put them away, you looked, you organized. So, this is Hashem's love for the Jewish people. He doesn't need a census. Hashem knows the number, he doesn't need a census. Korsh Bokhan knows everything. He certainly knows the number. So why does he call for the census? Mitochi Bosan says Rashi, it is an expression of his of his affection. The Ramban gives different reasons. The Ramban, uh, I think, most uh, poignantly says, purpose of the census was to be able to identify who would be in the army. Remember, we're expecting here to go right into Eretz Yisrael. This is still part of the transition. Yes, the Chaita Egel has occurred, where before yet Shlach, the Chaita Maraglam has not yet occurred. And so the expectation here was to go directly into Israel and to conquer Israel. In order to form an army, you need to understand the statistics, the data. You need to understand how your army is going to operate. And that was the purpose of this, of this census. There's uh, no, gives a few other reasons, but, uh, but we begin here with the census. The census accomplished something else that was very important and very special. The census accomplished, remember again, Hashem didn't need the census. But the census allowed each person to feel that they counted. The census reminded every individual, their inestimable value, their inestimable worth, what each of them brought to the table. So, so the uh, partial begins with the census. The census told the people who were doing the counting, what their responsibilities are. Correct, it reviewed their responsibilities, it gave the count, and, uh, and so on. This is the second year, Yeah. Right. received the and that the No, this is the second year since they right. The second year since they left. Well, yeah, they, they were at Har Sinai. And they had the Khayta Egel. This is the second year. Yeah, yeah, this is the second year after all of that occurred. No, no, all of that occurred. This is the second year. Why Bimidbar? Why does the parsha begin? We call it Bamidbar. But if you look at the punctuation, it's Bimidbar in the desert. What's the connection of the desert? so we have Midrashim. Torah is only acquired by a person who turns himself into a Midbar, a person who is barren, like a Midbar, like a desert. What does that mean? I think there's a few meanings. First of all, it means a Midbar, a place of barrenness, is where one is desperate. You rely on minimal sustenance. And the desert doesn't produce, doesn't provide. A person is reliant on whatever they've done to prepare in advance or whatever minimal resources are there. So a place, the Midbar is a place of faith and hope. So someone who lives in a Midbar is prepared to acquire the Torah. Meaning, you have to be reliant on Hashem, you have to be submissive to Hashem, you have to recognize it's a place of minimal resources that you rely almost exclusively on the goodness and the graciousness of the Almighty, Baruch But moreover, the Medrash really means to say that when you turn yourself into a Midbar it means you nullify yourself. That a person, in order to truly accept and embrace the message of Torah, has to nullify the I. If your emphasis is on the I then you look to impose your thoughts, your perspective, your values. You'll read the Torah through the prism of your thinking rather than create your thinking through the prism of the Torah. So a person has to turn themselves into a midbar. A person has to have a certain level of of barrenness. A person has to have a clean slate, a tabla rasa. A person has to be able to not impose their vision on Torah, but have Torah make our Make our vision. The uh, Gemara says in Shabbos that when a person dies, they come to Shemayim or ask a series of questions. One of them is, Kavati la Torah, which we classically, traditionally understand to mean, did you set aside time for learning? Every day you have to designate time for learning. But I once heard an explanation, Kavati la Torah doesn't mean, did you set aside time for learning? Alternatively, it could mean, Kavati la Torah or Kavata Torah L'Itim. Itim can mean the times. an Ace is a time, a time period. So when you read the newspaper... When you went on the internet, when you interpreted current events, when you looked at the world and its fads and its styles and, its, uh, and the times, did you interpret what was happening in the world through Torah? Or do you interpret Torah through what's happening in the world? Do you decide whatever ism is in today? Communism, socialism, feminism, consumerism, whatever ism of the day. Kavata itim la Torah or kavata Torah la itim? Are you koveya the itim la Torah? Do you look at the world and the, what's happening in the world and you're kovea, you establish your view of it through Torah? What does Torah have to say about gender roles? What does Torah have to say about humanitarian efforts? What does Torah have to say about the mar- institution of marriage? What does Torah have to say? Do we establish our worldview based on Torah? Or do we look at Torah and establish Torah based on our worldview? I think uh, I want to be able to be sympathetic about this kind of marriage. So I'm going to find a way in the Torah to explain... I want to be able to say this. I'm going to find a way in the Torah... Which one? Kaveh itim HaTorah, Kaveh torah Torah So a person, the, the uh, Sefer BaMidbar begins by telling us, if you want to accept Torah, you have to make yourself like a Midbar. You have to make yourself barren, a blank slate. You have to let Torah make its impression on you, rather than seeking to make your impression or project your worldview onto Torah. So the parsha begins with the census. It goes through each of the tribes, the museum, and so on. Which tribe is excluded from this census? Maybe. The tribe of Levi. They are not included. If you look on page 730, Do not count the tribe of Levi among the Jewish people. Do not include them in the census. Why not? Why is Levi not included? So first of all, they have another designation. We'll get to that. They have a separate designation. Because they have a separate mission. They have a higher mission. Those are the psukim we're going to study momentarily. But if you look at Rashi here, we're on in Perek Aleph, Pasuk Memtes, Matel Levi Losef Kod, Kedayu Ligeon Sharmelach lios Nimna Levado. First interpretation is what you just said. This is the king's inner guard. This is the king's personal army, police. So they're not counted among the regular army. They have their independent special count. Dover Akhar, but in a separate reason Rashi says, Benes Sheyamusu God... Anticipated, he understood what was going to take place, the sin of the of the uh, of the eagle, or what took place, but that the result of the sin of the eagle would be those above twenty would not enter Eretz Yisrael. Right? We know what happened. They would dig their own grave and lie down. And each year, not everybody would climb out alive. And it was a tubaav that they re- those that they everybody woke up the next morning alive, and they realized that the. The plague had ended, nobody else was going to die, they would all make it into Israel. So, you see, though, the generation were 20 and older who had participated in the Egel, would not make it into Eretz Israel. So, I don't want Levi to be included. Levi did not participate in the Cheta Egel, Levi did not contribute to the golden calf. So, Rashi says, God says, look, I'm counting the Jewish people because anyone who is over 20, I'm going to punish. They're not going to make it in. But Levi didn't participate. I don't want to include them in the count because after all, they'll all make it into the land because they didn't participate. Ask Srev Chaim Shmulevitz. What is an obvious question, certainly once he asks it. God is infinite. God is omnipotent. God is perfect. Could God not have included Levi in the census but still let them into Eretz Israel? Why did he have to not include them was the only way that they wouldn't be punished with everyone. Count them, include them in the census, and then just make sure that while everyone else suffers their demise, Levi will make it into Israel. Oh, what's the lesson? Okay, so by segregating, by designating them, there's a lesson. Obey Hashem, there's a reward, and that lesson is much more pronounced by counting them separately. Good, excellent answer. Rechaim Shmuelavitz gives a different answer. He says, you learn from here a very important value. We see it elsewhere in the parsha. we'll get to it in a moment as well. But you know what the value is? Be careful who you hang out with. Because your own, there's a Jewish concept of guilty by association. There's a Jewish concept of if you are counted among a certain social group, if you hang out with and identify with a certain segment of society, then even if you are not individually guilty of a certain transgression, you will be counted among them. Right? We, we all remember this in school. If you hang out with the bad crowd, the bad crowd did something wrong, you were called in with them. Ah, but I didn't do it. My fingerprints aren't on it. I wasn't guilty of it. It didn't matter. This was your chevra. This is who you hung out with. You're, you're going down with the ship. I liken it to the Subchaim Shmulevitz. You see this with the stock market. Lahavdil. What happens with the stock market? It's an incredible thing. Stocks go up and down all the time, having nothing to do with the stock, having to do with the sector it belongs to. A biotech stock, a tech stock, a bank, uh, a, a, uh, whatever kind of stock, a REIT, it'll go up or down, sometimes significantly, because the whole sector moved up. That company didn't announce any profits or loss, any new invention or technology or discovery. Nothing came out from the company, zero. But it could go up or down 5%, as much as 10%, because that whole sector moved up that day or went down that day. Who are identify with moves our stock. And that's why, says Rechaim Shmulevitz, that's why tefillah sibur is so important. When you daven privately at home as an individual, God says, okay, let me take a look. Let me open his or her file. Let me see how they're doing. But if you come to shul, feel a bit zibur, Then God says, I'm going to count you with the whole sector. Assuming that tzibur is a good sector. <laughs> so, if you dive in with the tzibur, God says, rather than just look at you individually isolated, we're going to look at the conglomerate of the whole. And the whole is moving in a positive direction. The sum total of the virtues of the whole are greater than their liabilities, their shortcomings. So therefore that's the emphasis of Tefillah B'tzibor, the gemaras and Brachas that say that when you daven B'tzibor, your Tefillah is more readily heard. God is more predisposed to listen, to accept, because you're moving with a sector. So Hashem could have of course counted the Levi within the census, and nevertheless not punished them, allowed them to go into Eretz Yisrael. But God is teaching a lesson, that we are who we hang out with that our identi- we identify those with whom we associate has a tremendous impact on us our value like a stock goes up or down based on the sector we choose to identify with Judge a person by their friends exactly but a we similar get concept a similar it. concept and next we get into the encampments next we get into the encampments each uh, tribe had their own flag each tribe had their own insignia or their own uh, logo icon and uh, there was a designation of exactly how they should encamp. My, uh, one of my daughters had a great sleepover with her teachers at her teacher's house and she broke up. They were studying this so she broke the class up into different groups based on the tribes and they made their own flag. In the sleepover, in her backyard, they camped out. It was a camp out. They slept according to the way they did. A beautiful lesson to make, to make the parsha come alive. She deserves great credit. So um, they were broken up based on, their, based on their encampment and based on their, um, and based on the tribe that they belonged to. Asks, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky and his Emes I know this is just the overview but it, it's been so long since we had a Parsha class <laughs> so yeah, many great uh, Tivari Torah you got to share them so I asked that Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky that's how the Emes says all these separate designations and this is so much about the, the, the speaks to the philosophy of our shul of our community the BRS community says so Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky these separate flags and separate logos separate camping positions wouldn't it promote divisiveness? every tribe on its own such individuality, competition, competitiveness, which is the most important, the least important, who has the best spot, the worst spot. Everybody's going to be very protective of their tribe, of their logo. How did they operate? Didn't this create piru? This couldn't create divisiveness in Qalai Says Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. you know why this works? Because you know what was at the center? You had north, south, east and west. You had locations, you had campouts on every side. But you know what was in the middle? The Aron HaBris. When the Torah is in the center, when the Torah is at the... So you have different spokes of the wheel, but at the center of the wheel, you have Torah. Then it creates a sense of unity, says of Yaakov Kamenetsky. So this is our motto. Valuing diversity, celebrating unity. This was Klai Yisrael. You look in the way they encamped in the Midbar, it was valuing diversity. Every tribe brought their strength. Every tribe had their skills. Every tribe contributed to Klai Yisrael, contributed to the world separately, individually, uniquely. But nevertheless, with it all, if Torah is at the middle, it's able to unite you. Torah is the vehicle to create that sense of unity. Torah is supposed to bring. Tragically, in our times, we see people use Torah to try to promote divisiveness. They use Torah to slam each other on the head and slap each other across the face. They use Torah to judge and dismiss and marginalize and criticize Khalila. It's such an abuse and misuse of Torah. Torah is designed to be the opposite. It says Rav Yaakov, Torah, the Aaron, the Luchos Habris, sat at the center of the camp. It unites. It brings everyone, draws us all into the middle. It brings us all closer together. So these were the, these were the encampments. Part of the encampments, part of the uh, designation of the encampments was interesting with the relationships that resulted from the camping assignments. Here in the section we see that immediately adjacent to the family of Kahas, who were south of the Mishkan, right next to Kahas, which were Levi, were the tribe of Reuven. And a short time later, when is going to come along from the tribe of Kahas from Levi, a relative of Moshe, as we know, and he 's going to incite a rebellion against Moshe against God, against Aaron, against the Jewish people, members of the family of Ruvein who camped out right next to Kahas were influenced to join excuse me to join the rebellion, and Rashi tells us that in fact. Most of those who died in Korach's rebellion came not from the tribe of Levi, not from the family of Goss, but came rather from Reuven, Reuven, their neighbors. And concludes the Medrash because of that. Oy Rasha, oy l'shechina. Woe on to the wicked person, Korach, and the neighbor. The neighbor is vulnerable, susceptible. The neighbor was influenced. Now if I'm Reuven, if I'm the tribe of Reuven, I'm not going to be very happy with the Rebon Shalom with God. How could it be? They weren't random assignments. This wasn't Southwest Airlines with open seating. They were told exactly where to camp. So Reuven is going to come to God and say, "Kbor Rilolam, you told me to pitch my tent right next to Kahas. You put me right next to a Russia. And now I was influenced. I lost so much of my tribe in this rebellion. I'm to blame. I have accountability. I've lost so much through this tragedy. Ribonu Shalolam, you put me here," says Avigdor Nevin Sashlita the rub of the Old City, the Iratika of Yerushalayim, says a following answer, which is fantastically important. It says, you know, sometimes a person feels in life, God placed me here. God put me in this job. God put me in this house. God put me in this, married into this family. God put me among these friends. And we feel, God put me here, and therefore my guard is down. If I ended up in this neighborhood, in this family, at this job, in this club, in this Mahjong game, then it must be that God put me here, and so my guard is down. Says Rav Nevenza, what do you see from our Pasha? That even if Hashkachah, divine intervention, seems to have put us somewhere, you can never let down your guard from negative influence. It's not an excuse. Ruvain can't say, baruchu, you told me to pitch my tent here. You can never become apathetic or indifferent or unaware of the harmful pressures that lurk. It's not an excuse. It wasn't good enough. Ruvain was accountable for, even though God told him to live next to Kahas, he never should have let down his guard. He had to remain vigilant. And by not being vigilant to protect his family from a toxic neighbor, Reuven paid the price. And this is the pshat in the Mishnah. Mishnah says, ra, chaber Rosha. Distance yourself from a bad neighbor and don't connect to a wicked person. I don't understand. Distance yourself from a bad neighbor. When it comes to the Russia, it says, "Altis chaber." Don't be friends with them. When it comes to the bad neighbor, it says, "Get as far away." I would have thought it'd be the opposite. Who's worse, a wicked person or a bad neighbor? A wicked person is for sure worse. It's a Russia, And it just says, don't be friends with the Russia. When it comes to the bad neighbor, it says, get far. Bad neighbor is not a bad person. They're a good person. They just have some bad habits. They're a bad neighbor. And yet the Mishnah is much more cautious, is much more, uh, tells us to be much more careful of the neighbor than even of the Russia. Why is that? Why is that? So the Gemara in Bruchus, the answer I think is because the bad neighbor is not necessarily a bad person and that's why you're going to be more vulnerable. See, a Russia, you look at the Russian, and you say, this is a low life, wicked, this is a bad person. You're not going to be hanging out, have a Shabbos meal with a bad person. You're not going to have coffee with a bad person. You're not going to let your kids hang out with the bad people. You're not vulnerable. You're not susceptible because you know they're wicked. But the Shachin Ra, who. Shachin Ra is a good person with bad habits and you're trying to be a good neighbor. And if you let down your guard and you're not vigilant, their attitudes, their bad habits can easily penetrate, can easily influence your family. That's what the Gemara says in Brachos. If you have a shul in your neighborhood you don't go to Daven there, you're a bad neighbor. The Prisha, commentary on the Shulchan Aruch asks, why is that the measure of a bad neighbor? Bad neighbor steals your internet, steals your newspaper. Bad neighbor uh, doesn't trim his grass. Bad neighbor uh, plays loud music at night. Bad neighbor is someone who doesn't come to shul. Why is that a bad neighbor? So the Prisha says, because the Gemara says elsewhere, if ten people get together to daven, the shechina rests among them. A good shachin, a good neighbor, draws the shechina. A bad neighbor, a shachin ra, ignores, dismisses, even pushes away the shechina. So one can be a bad neighbor even by doing... Nothing. Yes? Why was Reuven affected more than Shim'on and who all together? Good question. I don't know. I don't know. So this is one of the lessons of our Parsha. You see it whether it's in the census with Levi, who's excluded, because you don't want to be associated with the people who made a mistake. Or you see a little bit later with Reuven, who are vulnerable because they're next to, they're next to Korach, and they lose even more people than, than, the, than the family of Kahas. Because even when God, even when we have that sense that Hashkocha, the divine uh, intervention, placed us somewhere, we can never let God down our guard. We have to remain vigilant. Okay, the class is almost over and we're still at the uh, introduction with the overview. Okay, then we go on now. Once we've done the census and we counted uh, the people, now the progeny of Moshe and Aaron are counted. These are the psikkim that I want to look at a little bit closely. We talked about the designation, the role, the value of the tribe of Levi. And Levi now is counted different families within Levi, we have the the, uh, firstborn are redeemed the obligation of the uh, redemption of the firstborn and uh, then the um, Kohanim are I'm sorry, the Kahas, the family of Kahas are organized and the special precaution to the family of Kahas from the Levium is what ends the Parsha okay, so what I want to look at, let's go back, we're going to study together more in depth Are it's Perakim Beginning Perakim or Says the Torah. These are the offspring. These are the progeny of Aaron and Moshe. On the day Hashem spoke to Moshe, Behar Sinai. And now, so we begin with the names of Aaron's sons Habachor, Nadav. The oldest is Nadav. After him comes Aviu. And then two more, Elazar and Isamar. These are the names of the children of Aaron who were anointed, whose hands were uh, filled in order to serve. And we know the tragedy on the day of the inauguration, which should have been Aaron's happiest day of his life. Tragically, he loses two sons. And cut down in their youth, not of an aviu. Why akrivam They brought a fire, foreign fire, before God. But remember, we discussed this. What exactly was their sin? Is the great machlokas? Were they drunk? Did they not have children? Did they bring a foreign a korban they weren't asked to bring? Keteras. A lot of different opinions. This is one of the hints. They're cut down. The Torah says they didn't have children. Now, it tells us that for the purpose of the census or the description of the lineage, but it also perhaps is a hint to why they were killed. Because, Banim, Loha And there's a Medrash that tells us, you know why they didn't have Banim? You know why they didn't have children? Because they looked at Moshe's children. They said, This is what happens when leaders have children. We're not going to have children. Look what happens to the children of rabbinic leaders they get neglected and they're ignored there's no time for them very often you see what results so perhaps uh, suggested Nadav and Aviv didn't have children not because they were some form of rebellion but it was a noble reason said you know what if we're going to dedicate ourselves exclusively to serve Hashem in a position of leadership you don't have time for everything something's going to give and why should we bring children into the world if they're going to if they're going to be the ones who have to uh, be neglected what? You don't like that answer, neither do I. So Elazar and Isamar serve because their older brothers Nadav and Abi, who die. died. Elazar, you know, there's two communities in Israel named after Aaron's surviving children, Elazar and the Gush Itamar. We remember the terrible tragedy that took place in the Fogel family in the uh, in the Yeshuv of Itamar. So these are named after Aaron's children. Elazar and What is glaringly missing? We just read this section section begins with an introduction. Once we completed the census, let me tell you about the progeny of Aaron and Moshe. And then it goes on and tells you the progeny of Aaron. What's missing? Most, most, most. Asks Rashi, Aaron. How could you tell me in the introduction, you're about to list the children of Aaron and Moshe, and you go on and only list the children of Aaron. What's missing Moshe? The Nikru told us Moshe, Why, says Rashi, Lefisha limdan Torah, An incredible lesson from the Gemara in Sanhedrin. Because Moshe taught his nephew's Torah. So this teaches. If you teach Torah to your friend's children, it's as if you gave birth to them. Their parents gave birth to them biologically, but you give birth to them spiritually. When you share Torah, it's a very powerful message, particularly to those who don't have children. They can have children. We all have you biolog- can have try to have biological children, and we've spiritual heirs. The people whose lives we've impacted, the Torah we've taught, the inspiration and mentorship that we provided, we have spiritual heirs, spiritual children, spiritual progeny. Kolam Lamed is Ben Khavero Torah. That if you teach Torah, you give positive influence on others. Ma'ala the Torah, um, the Torah presents it as if you as if you gave birth to them. Asks the Klayakar. That's a beautiful Rashi. Beautiful Gemara Sanhedrin. But then it asks the Kliyakar of Akasha, D'yemkein kol Yisroh Todos of lukulam lama Torah. So says the Kliyakar, that's a nice sentiment. But that means that Moshe is as if the father of every single human being and of every member of Kalah So in the census, why don't we identify every child with Moshe? Why only the children of own? If it's true that whoever teaches Torah, is as if they gave birth... So, Moshe taught Torah not only to his nephews, he taught Torah to everybody. So earlier in the census, why did we identify them with their biological parents? We should have identified them in addition with Moshe, just like we do his nephews, Aaron's children. The Ode, and furthermore, Why does it go back and say, these are the children of Aaron, below his is Moshe? If it's true that if you teach Torah, it's as if you gave birth, why only introduction is Eilat told us Aaron and Moshe? And then it says, It should have continued to link them, identify them with Moshe. Menira, the Farish says the Kliyakar, Moshe perished. Rashi, Parshas Ekev, Voiila filas Moshe lachatzayin. Nimtah sheoson shnei banim shitsa Moshe, but tefilaso domikilu yaldom. Venasu toldosu biyom dibar Hashem. Moshe bar sinai raid Hashem got very angry. It says it tells us Hashem got very angry with Moshe. <coughs> Excuse me. Dvarim tes chav. Look there for a second. Dvarim tes pasuk chav. What's the context? He says, So I davened. What's the context? What's he talking about? Right? And he says, God got angry at Moshe, at Aaron, my brother. And I davened from the bottom of my heart for him and for his children to survive. So says the Kliyakar, you know why it refers to or identifies the children of Aaron with Moshe? Not because he taught them Torah. If that were the case, it would need to identify everybody with Moshe. It's because Moshe davened for his nephews and they only survived. God only allowed them live because Moshe had davened for them. So you see a different lesson. Whoever davins for the well-being of somebody is as if they gave them life. If the person is sick... We davened this morning for Harold. First, you should have a For Bart stall, both had procedures today. You should have complete refu shleima. You daven for somebody whose health is threatened and their health is restored. It's as if you gave them life. So you're credited with giving them life. So Elazar Isamar were going to die. Moshe davened on their behalf. They lived, and that's a no. Not the died. Elazar Samar lived, and that's why Moshe is identified with Elazar Samar, because he davened on their behalf the So they're going to count. They'll be counted later when we count through, through the family. What do you know about them? Exactly. It tells you a lot. It tells you a lot. Shamar Ela told us, Aaron and Moshe, Bavur, Says the Kliyakar when it mentions, Ela told us, Aaron, Why is Moshe given credit? Because they only lived because He davened for yeah. them. When you daven for somebody and you restore their life, you preserve their life, it's as if you gave birth to them. And that's why it's contrasted here, says the Kliyakar. Nadav and died, Elazav and lives. How did they live and whose merit? Moshe. And that's why Moshe is credited as if He gave birth to them. This is the interpretation that the Kliyakar, that the Kliyakar gives. Um, this is also suggested... This is also suggested. That's true. You could ask the same question of the Kliyakar. Moshe Davins for his brother Ara, Moshe davens for Klai Yisrael, right? Hashem says, I want to wipe everyone out. Moshe says, if so, erase me from your book. He davins for Klai Yisrael. Yeah, excellent question. So the also says, Similarly, Amr Razal, Ho'ila Lomar Zman, it's because he davened. the Orochim gives the same interpretation as the Kli Yakar. As the Kli Yakar. Okay. This is an interesting Sfarno here. Pazik Beis. Eilishmos bin Aaron, Abachor, Nadav. These are the names of the children of Aaron. Abachor, Nadav, Aviu. Allah's of Isa, It says the Sfarno. Kolachem mehemayet neksha bishmo, mitzad mashu ben Aaron belvar. Right? The big hang up also of children of rabbis. They don't have their own identity. There's the rabbi's daughter. There's the rabbi's son. There's the president's son. The president's rabbi. There's the. They don't have their own identity. They don't even have, no one knows their name. What's their name? Rabbi's child. That's their name. That's, That's their name. That's, you know, the, one of my daughters doesn't like to come to shul to sit next to her mother, daven. I give her a hard time about it. And finally she said, and it made a lot of sense, she said, everyone else gets to come to shul, they just daven. I come to shul, and I feel like everybody's looking at me. What is she wearing? How does she daven the rabbi's daughter? Whether it's true or not that everybody's looking at it that way, whether it's true or not, that's how she sees it. So there's this hang-up, there's this constant, constant insecurity. So it says the Sforno, that's why the Torah goes out of its way and says, Eila Shimos B'nai Arun. Why does it use the word Shemos? Just say Eila B'nai Aram. Eila Why does it say these are the names says the Svarna to tell us they made names for themselves. They weren't just the children of Aaron. But they had a name. he says, each was known by their name. They're not just, oh you're Aaron's son. Oh you're Moshe's nephew. Ooh. Protexia. Ooh ah No, they made a name for themselves. And they were called by their name. Eyelashmos bin Aaron. They each had a name for themselves. A very important and powerful and powerful Seforno. Okay, there's even more to say here, but let's keep going. Let us keep going. Pesuk Hey, by the Bereshiim of Moshe. More, God spoke to Moshe saying, Hakreves Mate Levi veAmarate Osolef Ne'arona kohein, the Shersu Oso. 736. Perik, Gimel, Pasuk, Hashem is supposed to Moshe and he said, Bring near Levi, the tribe of Levi, have the tribe of Levi stand in front of Aaron, the Kohen, the, Shers- the Shersu Oso, and they shall serve him. What does it mean, they shall serve him? Bring him his coffee, bring him his paper, get him his slippers. What does it mean, the tribe of Levi will serve him? So the Torah continues. It means that uh, they will safeguard, they will be shomrim on Mishmarto, his job, his mandate, his charge. They are, the Leviam, are in charge of protecting and empowering Aaron to fulfill his duty as going gadol, and protecting the nation in front of the Oam Oed, la'avodis <laughs> ha'avodis ha'mishkan. V'shem was kokle Oam they should safeguard all the utensils of the mishkan, mishmeres b'nei Yisrael, la'avodis Avodas ha'mishkan. V'nesatas ha'lavim l'Aaron a'lavanov, v'nesunim Nesunim Hema lo' me'es b'nei Yisrael. And they uh, you shall present the Levium to Aaron and his sons, presented are they to find... Are they to him? From the children of Bnei Israel. You must. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons. They're going to protect the Kohuna, the priesthood, and any czar, any non Kohen who comes close, who enters an area they're not allowed, or tries to offer that which they're not allowed to offer, you must. Capital crime, they will receive the death penalty. So that's that section. k through Yidal, if you see by the Pay in the pay, bracketing that section. Now, where the Levium are given their mission, their charge. What is the goal? What is the responsibility of the Levium? To serve Aaron, empower Aaron to function as the Kohen Gadol, to protect the Kalem of the Mishkan, to protect Kla Yisrael from going where they shouldn't go, and to to, uh, to perform the service. Let's see, Rashi. The Sharsuoso. The Suoso. Bishar suoso. Pasek said, Pasekei, that bring them close to the staff of Aaron, they are to serve him. Says Rashi, What is this service they provide? You know, like Sheirut Le'umi. Sheirut Le'umi means national service. The Leviim do a Sheirut Le'umi. Sheirut Leviyim. This is the Leviim's service. So one of their services, Rashi is, they make sure a Yisrael does not enter an area, they're not allowed to go. Do not allow a Yisrael into the Mishkan, into the of Mikdash, in an area they're not allowed to go. Says Rashi, throughout the Torah, whenever you see these words used, to be vishamru as mishmarto to safeguard their charge means to fulfill their calling. To fulfill their mission. It could be to be a tailor. It could be to be a levy, to teach Torah, it could be to be a Kohen. Whatever your job is. Every time you see somebody is appointed for a certain job, fulfilling their job, their mission is called Vishamru, to be a Shomer, to protect that which you are called to do. Kemochan Mishmar Good, continuing Rashi. they're also supposed to protect the Jewish people. What does that mean? So, the, really, the entire Jewish people are responsible for the operations of the Mishkan. Really, it's it's all it's all of our Mishkan. The Mishkan, the base Mikdash, is owned by and is is really representing all the Jewish people. It's impractical, however, for all the people to take that responsibility. So you have to designate a committee, a smaller group, who will represent, who will be the shlichim, who will be the agents of the greater group. They really represent us. And here Rashi makes an important comment. It's therefore the Levim get to collect what? How are they paid? If you're a Levi. So if you're a Yisrael, I'm a lowly Yisrael. If you're a lowly Yisrael in Israel, you're a lawyer you're a doctor you're a street cleaner you're a judge you're a policeman you play for Maccabi Tel Aviv and win the EuroLeague whatever you do you do your job if you get paid you make a salary if you're a levy what do you do where does your compensation come from how do you put food on the table it comes from the Meiser says Rashi every other tribe say well the levy is really representing me the levy is teaching me who's going to support the levy we this is the origin of the community kolal model if there are rabbis who are teaching who are representing who are leading they are paid by the community Miser today's daf those learning the daf Rosh Hashanah daf yedbez we have this conversation this concept the Gemara wants to know how do you know that Miser Risham is paid every year Miser Shani and Miser Ani alternate depends on the year year 3 and 6 is Miser Ani year 2 um, four, 5 and 7 is Miser Shani. Sorry. The Shemitah. So how do you know that Miser is every year, all the year straight? The Gemara deduces it from Yerusha, makes a hekas to Yerusha. Just like Yerusha is nonstop, so too is miser nonstop. The miser is given to the to the Levi. So what do you see? What, what do you mean? The Chiskuni says Because the Levim have forfeited a Yerusha, that's why there's Zohar to the Maison. The Gemara links the same way Yerusha inheritance happens continuously, so to the miser is paid continuously. Gemar daf today. Daf Yomi, So what's the link The Chizkuni says? Everyone, when it comes to divide the land, tells us in Yeshua, they conquered the land, it took how many years? Seven years. Seven years to conquer the land. Then seven more years to divide the land. And it was only after those 14 years that they began process of Shemitah. The first Shemitah only happened in the 21st year after they came into Israel. Not the 7th year. 7 years to conquer, 7 years to divide, and then the Shemitah cycle began. So, we divided the land. Each tribe has their designation of where the area was, based on lottery, review say for Yeshua. Which tribe did not get land, a portion? Levi. Instead, they were given what? Cities. They're given cities within each portioning. And who pays for them within the cities where they draw their salary? They draw it from the Meiser. So Rashi says here, So Mishmeris B'nai Yisro. You have to understand that when, when there's a community kolo, when there's a group of Torah scholars, when there are those who do the religious service for the people, they are doing mishmeris B'nai Yisro. They are doing it on behalf of the people. And when the people pay their salary, they shouldn't think they're doing him some grace of favor. The people shouldn't think I'm giving such big staka, whether it's to the yeshiva, the community kolal, the machanachim, the rabbayim, the rabbis, the kolal members. You're not giving tzedakah, you're not doing a big favor. Those people are doing Mishmeres bin Yisrael. They're doing you a favor. You don't think they can make more money? They're not smart enough to go be the CEO of a big company. They weren't smart enough to be a high flying lawyer or a fancy doctor. They could be making a lot more money. But they're doing Mishmeres bin Yisrael. They're serving the people. They are fulfilling your, an agency on your behalf. And when you pay, When you pay, you're simply compensating an agent who's doing something on your behalf. The Rambam writes, it's based on this that we have, the whole talk about this community kola model. This is, he says, the Rambam says, anybody who wants to volunteer to be part of the tribe of Levi, can. Anyone who wants to sit and learn Torah and be be, volunteer to be the tribe of Levi should be supported by the the community. so not only genealogically, not only if you descend from Levi, do you qualify. If you descend from Levi, you automatically qualify and you automatically have an obligation, responsibility. But even if you're not from Levi and you want to volunteer to be part of that sacred mission, then you can, and you, and you can rely on the community to pay for you. So there's a big discussion. I gave a shirah on this a couple of years ago. The whole question of the giyus, of the, of the drafting of yeshiva students into the army. So many yeshiva students try to point to this Rambam. I'm a voluntary member of the tribe of Levi. I don't have to serve in the army. You have to pay my kolo stipend. Government should be paying. And there's a big discussion. So Rav he Lichtenstein, uh, he should have good health, is a fantastic article, very important to read. You can Google it, read it online. It was printed many years ago in tradition, reprinted in his books. Um, Leaves of Faith, I think is what it's called. Is that what it's called? Um, an article that's called The Ideology of Hesder. The Ideology of Hesder first Hesda Yeshiva was Karen B'Yavn, the Yeshiva I attended. And Chaim Yaakov Goldvecht, Zatzal, was the Talmud of the Chazanish, created the Hesda Yeshiva, where instead of going to serve three years in the army straight, you break up your army service interspersed. It's a five-year service interspersed with learning in Yeshiva. Uh, full-time during the periods you're not in the army. It's very, uh, very, and the Hesda boys have, have elevated to officers and Hesda units are among the most successful and admired in the army in the army today. So R. Lichstein has an article called The Ideology of Hesder," and he responds to this question of, of uh, what do you mean? If you're sitting and learning the tribe of Levi, you should be exempt from the army altogether. And he says there, it takes a certain level of confidence to say, I qualify to be part of the tribe of Levi. My learning is so consistent and with such hasmada. I waste no time, my quality, I'm a member of the Yahide Skula. My learning is at such a level that I'm among the elite that I qualify. Plus, he says there, how many did the Rambam intend can can qualify as the tribe of Levi? A minion? A hundred? He didn't mean (laughs) 12,000. So, it's worth it. But but there's a big discussion. It's a big discussion. It all stems around this Pasuk. It's Mishmeras Bnei Yisrael. Those who are contributing. Learning is also contributing to Mishmeras Bnei Yisrael. The learning also provides divine protection for the Jewish people. As are even more important. But the question is, it's not either or traditionally it was always those who learned Torah. If you look through Tanakh, those who knew the most Torah, the greatest Tamidah Chachamim, beginning with Yeshua, were the generals of the army. They were the first to go to war, not the last. They didn't rely on an exemption. They were the first to say, in the merit of my learning, I want to be the first. So this is obviously a very big discussion taking place right now. Not, uh, not for now. Okay the uh, Ches the Ibn Ezra also says Mishmer's Ben Yisrael you know how Levi served the Jewish people says the Ibn Ezra She Yishmeru you got Yisraeli El HaMishkan they were the security they protected the Mishkan they were security guards if a Yisrael came too close they wouldn't let him touch the Mishkan you're not allowed too close they were the security they were the security guards ok let's continue Prosecute Aleph, next section God now speaks to Moshe and he continues. I have taken the Leviim from among the Jewish people. Tachas means in lieu of, instead of the firstborn, who left their mother's womb, and they will be for me, and they will be for me, Leviim. So, who. Supplant who replaced the elite um, that were supposed to be the bechor Levi'im. Once we're talking about the levim and we're talking about their special designation, it invokes it reminds us that who were supposed to, who were the ones who were supposed to have that designation, who were the ones who were supposed to be in that position, it was none other than the bechor, the firstborn. The bechor, the firstborn, belongs to me. When I struck the firstborn of Egypt, I also sanctified the firstborn of Israel. From the person to the animal. Li ani Hashem. They are for me. I am Hashem. Hashem here says there's a special designation of the Bechor, the firstborn. Not only the firstborn animal, we have the halacha of of Bechor behema, Firstborn animal has to be given to the Kohen and is sacrificed in Yerushalayim, the base of Mikdash. What do we do today? Halacha of the Bechor Behema still applies today. We covered this in the daf recently too. B'chor Behema still exists today. A farmer in Israel, a firstborn Jewish farmer, Jewish farmer anywhere, B'chor Behema has to uh, give their animal to the Kohen. What do they do? So the Shukh the Ramah quotes that the practice today is because for all the complicated reasons of fulfilling the mitzvah, the way it was designated, the farmer enters the Shudfos has a partnership with a non-Jew on the mother cow. What's the mother cow called? Cow. Okay. On the cow. On the cow. <laughs> As opposed to the bull. Cow is always female? Yeah, yes. Okay, I'm glad I came to the class today. <laughs> learned something new. So the, uh, the makes a shutfus, makes a uh, partnership with the non-Jew and the cow so that whatever is produced from that cow won't have the halachic status of a bachor, uh, obligation of a bachor. Because if a non-Jew owns even a part of the animal, one is not obligated in bechor. So the Torah here says, "Adam Behema. firstborn." We know bechor of a person has to be redeemed. pigeon ben, the firstborn of an animal, we have the Allah of bechor of bechor Behema. Well, first of all, they're both, they're both really genealogical. The Levi's also, it, it's, not, it's not because of its merits. Levi as a, as a whole received this position because of their merit, having not participated. But, um, uh, right, I agree, rather than before the designation of just being born. Right, excellent, you're asking a great question. We're going to see this question. Oh, the Kliyakar is going to ask that in one second. In fact, why wait the one second? Let's look at the Kliyakar ask that right now. I have one good question here. If this section, if the whole reason we're mentioning this is to say that the Bechor, the firstborn, didn't live up to their designation. They failed. God took away their designation and gave it. So... We're talking about the bechor. We're talking no. We're talking about the the firstborn across the board. Yes, yeah, so the whole firstborns failed God, and therefore, though they were supposed to act as the priests, the firstborn, God took away the designation and gave it to, yeah, all firstborn, and gave it to and gave it to Levi. Ask the Kliak, or Ask Jonathan Charm. Why would God... God took away the designation and gave it to Levi, and in the same breath, God says, and that's why B'chor is so special to me, and they're so sacred, and you have Ben, Right? Hashem says it twice. Li ko They're They're mine, they're mine, they're mine. If they're so special, would you take away their merit? And if you took away their merit, they're obviously not so special to you. So what's going on here, Asked the Makes no sense. who knows? Hashem the Moreover, the pasuk implies when did the bechor get this designation? When is it that they were designated to t- play the role of priests? When God struck the bechor of Mitzrayim? Says the Kli it's not true. Much earlier, long before that, God said the bechor is going to be the priest. It wasn't. He didn't first think of it when he also smote the firstborn of Egypt. And we don't find in Egypt. Go back to Sefer Shemoz and you're not going to find in Egypt that the 10th plague, God smites the firstborn and he says, in the same sweeping move, I'm going to kill the firstborn of Egypt and at the same time elevate the firstborn of Israel. We don't see any correlation between the two. So why now is the Torah creating a correlation? Ahad ol hapedyon, it's the opposite we don't see the Bechor having some holiness, some sanctity some higher designation we see them actually having a burden what's the burden? you gotta redeem them you gotta find money and you gotta find the Kohen and you gotta redeem the firstborn that's a merit that's a position of distinction that's prestigious ma in Kiddusha Bechor the Kiddusha Levim Levim, that's Malo how could the Torah compare the uh, reward to the Levium? They talk received received tremendous position of prominence. You're comparing the Bechor. What did they get? An obligation of Pidyon HaBen? Finding five slaw and finding money, having to redeem the, that. You're comparing the two. is a And if you'll say, the Levium too had a burden. They didn't have an easy ride. They had to work. lo. He says if you see what the Levim had to do as a chore as a burden and you're saying that's the reward to the Bechor is that they were relieved of the burden that they were going to have to serve that's not a burden the whole Torah is saying that you rewarded the Leviim for not participating in the Chayta Egel. So clearly that's a reward. So again, how could you compare the Bechor who get pidgin ben, which is a burden, with the Leviim, says the Kliyakar, who got prominence and prestige? <speaking in Hebrew> My heart says it's not comparison. <speaking in Hebrew> Even the Leviim received prominence and not service and not work. <speaking in Hebrew> שם איסא I I Rish ايين جمه بخورش لو يخل الله حميد بكمم ديم يتارخ لبيقير it says the Kliyakar, what happened is, every Bechor had a corresponding Levi who took his spot. But there were more Bechor, there were more firstborn than there were Leviim. So he had left over Bechor who did not find a Levi to take over their slot, take over their spot. And they needed a Pidyon of five Shkolim. So therefore, the B'chor could have complained to God and said, not only did you... I didn't find a Levi, so why do I have to redeem myself? Why does it have to be a redemption of me as the B'chor? There's no Levi who's taking over my spot. So that's what the Torah says. No. The reason you need redemption is not because there's a Levi taking over your spot. It's because Li B'nai Yisrael. Because you belong to me. Independent of the whole switch. Independent of the whole transfer of leadership. It's because li, because you belong to me... That's why you have to do the, the Pidyon. And God says, and why do you have to do the Pidyon? Because you owe me two things. base Kanassos. Number one, I saved you, you didn't die in the 10th in the plague. And number two, yecheta ego. And therefore you have to redeem yourself. You were supposed to be great, you failed twice, you have to redeem yourself. Independent of whether you found the corresponding Levi, who will take over for you. I'll tell you based on this an incredible khirish of Shlomo and Arbach has. Shlomo Zalman Arbach, Zatzal says, Tanis Pachoros, Tanis Pachorim, firstborn fast on Erev Pesach we get out of it with a sim it's rather it's a a, uh, relatively recent or modern fast it's a it's a custom it's not even a law where does it come from where does it come from so classically it's understood because every firstborn says if they would have been in Egypt they would have died God saves the Jewish firstborn and therefore they're fasting as a way of saying thank you um, as a way of appreciation. In fact, there are opinions. We don't follow it. There are opinions that even firstborn women fast on Tanas Bochoros because the Medrash says that even the firstborn ba- Batya was going to die, but she lived because of the merit of saving Moshe. That's what the medrash, sa- medrash says. You see from that Medrash that the firstborn girls were also killed in Egypt. And there's a custom among some that even firstborn women fast on, on the fast day Erev Pesach. It says of Shlomo Zalman Arbach, the Tanis has nothing to do with that. You know what it has to do with? The Bukhorim, the, the firstborn, were really designated to be the priests. They were supposed to operate in the Mishkan, in the Besa Mikdash, But because of their demerits, because of their mistake, it was taken away from them. They need atonement. They need a day every year to reflect on that mistake. What's the best day to do it, says Rishlam and Arbach? What is the day that all of Kalah are coming to bring a Karban? What is the day they are more karbonos than ever, that they would have been busier than ever? Erev Pesach. Erev Pesach is when the korban Pesach was being brought. Says Rosh Arbach. The Tanis on Erev Pesach has nothing to do with the Bechor, the 10th plague. It has to do with the Bechor should have been the one bringing all of these Karbanos Pesach. The fact that they were not the ones operating the base of HaMikdash, they have to have fast. For the atonement of the mistake of their ancestors with the Chayt ego. What is the role of Bechor? I had a lot more to say here. This notion of the Bechor preceding, predating the issue of, of uh, the 10th plague, even beforehand, when Yet in Mitzrayim, Hashem tells Moshe, he says, he says B'ni Bechori Yisrael, Kla Yisrael are like my firstborn. The whole concept of Bechor predates the 10th plague. What did God mean? All people are God's children. What does it mean that we are like God's firstborn? And we're not God's firstborn. We didn't come into being till Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov or later until Kala Yisrael and Har Sinai. So there was, God had children before we came into being. What does it mean when God talks about the b'chor? And why is the b'chor not Pishnaim? What is this whole designation of b'chor? I had a lot to say, but we are out of time. But I hope everyone will stay there. but has a fantastic Haftorah class today.